Hello guys and welcome to the 100th episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast, brought to you by myself, Ali Maxwell, alongside me, as he has been throughout, George Ellick. Now, I'm a little bit emotional, I'm going to try not to get too emotional. So, George, when we started this, in my front room, all those years ago, did you think we'd reach 100? No, I don't think I necessarily thought we'd reach 100 like a year ago. Um, so it's pretty, <laughs> obviously, the, uh, the rate of recording has gone up. Um, it's kind of a cheesy thing, I guess, to say, but uh, it's just amazing to, to think how many people uh, see a notification on their phone that they want to just hang out with me and you and listen to us talk about football. It's incredible. But uh, a lot of people have tweeted us today saying, here's to another 100, and I think that's exactly uh, what Ali and I would love to happen. So um, it's, been, it's been amazing. Um, it's been, you know, we've been very lucky to cover a couple of unbelievable seasons yeah. uh, across the leagues. And uh, this one looks like it's going to be pretty exciting as well. So Yeah, nothing f- for me in my life has ever been more true uh, than, in this sense, the phrase, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And I think that it became quite clear early on that we did need to put plenty into it in order to get plenty out of it. It wasn't going to be necessarily easy, certainly for the first few years when full-time jobs made made scheduling harder. And um, But you know, the the continued support that we've had and the opportunities that we've had off the back of, as you say, sitting and chatting as mates like we always have done since we were about 10 years old about football is is remarkable. So, um, yeah, thank you everyone that's tweeted us. And, and, you know, and and a massive thank you to all our guests as well because, kind of, to bring down the the fourth wall or whatever it is, whatever you call it, um, we met for a a coffee or a drink or whatever it was before recording our first ever betting preview podcast with Mark O'Hare and Steve Freeth. And we discussed then that maybe was it worth continuing it? We weren't really sure. And then that first championship preview betting, we've got like four times as many listens as we mm. ever got before. And since then it's been a rapid growth. So everyone who's um, very kindly uh, and, you know, without any monetary gain, uh, come and seen us and, and come on the podcast. Thank you to you guys as well, because you've been a massive part of making sure that we're here. Yeah. Great to talk to you today and talk about our hundredth episode as well after our third live TV experience on EFL Matters last Thursday. I hope plenty of you were able to catch that. Uh, We rattled through uh, a lot of Aston Villa chat uh, and some other championship action. We're going to be back on that show twice in November, the first Thursday in November and the last Thursday in November. So really looking forward to rejoining uh, David Prutton, uh, who's been so good with us and helped to to make us feel more comfortable each time we've done it. Hopefully that comes across. Um, One last self-indulgent thing on this 100th episode Uh, it would be remiss especially given only about 150 200 people listened to the first episode when it first went out and now there are many many more of you Uh, we thought we'd give you a a sneak snippet of the very start of our first ever podcast hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the not the top 20 podcast where we will be discussing well not the top 20 That's to say, the main talking points in English football outside of the much-covered Premier League. With 72 teams in the Football League, there is so much going on, so many storylines and an awful lot of football. And we're here to make sure that you don't miss any of the good stuff. I'm Ali and alongside me is George. Hello. Today, we'll be focusing solely on the Championship, starting with the two teams promoted to the Premier League. From there, we'll preview the upcoming playoff ties and finally discuss the teams that fell through the trapdoor into League One. Yeah, listen to that has made me cringe pretty hard and I'm, I think we're both, everyone can be happy that we've stopped writing our intros now, um, although maybe I'd speak less rubbish if I'd thought about what I was going to say before I said <laughs> it, but uh, I think that sounded pretty scripted, but uh, we've definitely come a long, long way since then, uh, both in terms of the content itself and uh, where we're recording and what we record on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spot on. Well, let's crack on with some EFL chat. Uh, later on in the podcast, we speak to a League Two analyst. Now, you might remember that we spoke to uh, Ollie Walker, the League One analyst for Stratabet last week. Well, we really liked him, so we wanted to get someone else in. So his colleague, Armin McCarramy, joined us. He is the League Two analyst at Stratabet, uh, and we spent a good... 20, 25 minutes going through some of the the major themes, some of the 
the major teams in League Two, and he was was fantastic, really, really interesting, and, and as someone who follows the league incredibly closely, had some great things to say. After that, at the very end of the podcast, we'll we'll talk about our team of the week, of course, and this week there were a lot of, of, of very worthy candidates. But first and foremost, George, I, I want to talk to you about the Aston Villa manager search. We spoke plenty about Steve Bruce's departure on EFL Matters last Thursday. Uh, we, we won't dwell too much on Bruce. I think anyone who's listened to the podcast uh, over the last, well, 18 months probably um, suspected and was correct to suspect that, uh, that we were fairly positive that, that, that this is the right move for Aston Villa in terms of their prospects this season and Promotion is is quite important for them as they run out of parachute payments at the end of this year. So moving forward, uh, that's not to say that they will definitely get better, George. But what what are the bookies saying at the moment about um, about the Villa manager search? Yeah, I mean the bookies suggest, as was reported widely in the national media over the weekend, um, that it could be coming to a, a pretty quick conclusion with Thierry Henry, the very very heavily odds-on favourite. Um, to, to, to get the role. He was obviously linked with it in the summer um, for whatever reason. Steve Bruce managed, well, you mean to hope for good reason. Back then, Steve Bruce managed to persuade the new investors that he was the man to take them forward. That hasn't been the case. So Thierry Henry is one to five, five on to be uh, next Aston Villa manager. So that means if he had a fiver on and he gets the job, he'd only make a pound profit. The rest of the names on the list don't seem to have much speculation surrounding them and the job. You're looking at Rui Farrier uh, with maybe a, a link to, um, to George Mendes. He is 10 to 1. Brendan Rodgers, who's currently managing Celtic in, uh, in, you know, in Europe. Uh, I think he sort of ruled himself out, or that appears to be the case over the last day. John, yeah, John Percy, having broken the Henri move, would have moved that market a lot. Well, I mean, he was a market mover the other day when there was rumours that Jose Mourinho was about to leave the Manchester United as well. So you'd think he might have slightly higher aspirations, not about the size of the club in Villa, but just maybe a Premier League team. Mm-hmm. Um, John Terry, twelve to one. Dean Smith, sixteen to one. He was six to four previously. Um, so I don't think anyone. There aren't any strong runners unless, you know, if people don't think that Henri's got the job, there's no one here who is seemingly close to getting it if it isn't him. Um, so, you know, you, you can find all the odds on Oddschecker. Um, you can see all the different bookies who are offering prices there. So you can see the discrepancy between them. And, uh, and as I always say, whilst these markets can often be slightly misleading, normally before a manager is... Uh, appointed, there's a, there is a plunge, and that's what we saw on Henri over the weekend. So it seems like it's Henri's for the taking, and reportedly John Terry uh, to be an assistant or a coach of some sort. Terry, of course, announcing his retirement from professional football yesterday, which you know strikes me as the sort of timing that that w- would make sense uh, if, if what we're saying is true. Um, Henri as manager, Terry as assistant manager, the EFL getting more and more like football manager by the day. Um, one of those football man- manager saves that you're about five, six years into and everything just starts going a bit crazy. Uh, this will be, you know, we've had Lampard in the summer, we've had other managers high profile in the championship, but this would be about as high profile as it gets. What do you tend to think, and specifically about Henri and Terry, about big names uh, with big pedigree getting th- their sort of first jobs in the championship? Do you, do you go, well, they've had amazing careers and played under great managers, fantastic leaders, uh, this lends itself to management? Or do you sort of think, well, you know, they might get burnt here if they, if they, if they come in thinking like that? I think it's got to be a case-by-case basis. I mean, we're, we're treading uh, you know, uncharted territory here where this doesn't normally happen. That You're looking at not just Premier League players or top-level footballers. In Henri and Lampard and Terry, you're looking at three of the greatest footballers to play in England and possibly Europe in the last 20 years. And it surprises me that we're getting into this culture now where these, these guys are looking for jobs, in, not only just in management, but also in the championship. You're thinking that all three of them have earned enough money in their lifetimes to not need to do this. Mm. If you're looking back 40 or 50 years or whatever, guys who, even the most high-profile players, had to stay in the game in order to, to, to make their living. So... I'm surprised uh, that it's happened, but it's going to be very exciting. It makes the championship, which doesn't need any more drama, it makes it eminently more interesting um, to those people who weren't necessarily interested in the first place. Henri is obviously, um, you know, he's done his apprenticeship in a way, I guess, with Belgium. He's coaching something he obviously enjoys and wants to do. So I don't think this is a, a vanity um, appointment that, that we'd see him under, under, um, under qualified for it. I'm looking at people like in the past, maybe Paul Merson's foray into management, Tony Adams, these guys who didn't really seem to fit the jobs they're going into. Whereas I think Lampard's shown straight away that he's capable. Um, Terry is obviously 
a senior figure at, at Aston Villa improved by, by when he left Chelsea and made the move there that he wasn't just motivated by the money and, and, and Premier League football and Henri as well. So it's going to be really, if he does get the job, it'll be interesting to see how he goes, but uh, it can only be good, good news for the EFL. I saw an interesting tweet from someone we follow, a Villa fan called Sergeant Jilko. Uh, I don't think that's his full name, but that's what he's called on Twitter. And Sergeant Jilko had an interesting point. Someone had brought up the fact that Gary Neville was a great player, um, but but clearly struggled in management in that short spell at, at Valencia, who were a, a club in some turmoil, it should always be pointed out at the time. Um, but even by his own admission, uh, struggled with a lot of, of the aspects of management. Sergeant Jilko said, well, Neville knows the game well, but played under a great motivator in Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, that's the same with Bruce, who famously never wanted to talk about tactics and always just wanted to, to think of football in terms of man management and motivation, it seemed. Um, those who play under philosophy-based coaches, i.e. Cruyff, Pep, etc., tend to do better, uh, of course, with no guarantee. I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, Henri, obviously, played under uh, Wenger, but also Pep Guardiola at, at Barcelona. Um, brief spell under Lippi at Juventus as well, and some of those coaches out in uh, MLS, I'm sure, have really had an impact on him as well. <laughs> um, and Terry, of course, Ancelotti, Mourinho, all of these guys while at Chelsea. So it'd be interesting to see how... All, all those names would be chuffed they finally got a mention in Not the Top 20 pod. <laughs> 100 episodes in, and we're suddenly going top tier. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, really, really interesting stuff. It's going to be fascinating to see, and it's not confirmed yet, so it's possible that next time we talk, uh, we'll be talking about um, Paolo Fonseca, new Aston Villa manager, in which case we can, we can make some different discussions. But um, should be fascinating. And as always, we just feel a bit spoiled with uh, the excitement, the drama of the championship and, and what it continues to throw up uh, on a weekly basis. Sheffield United are the current leaders at the top of the championship. They showed a different side to them, winning ugly. Uh, on the weekend against Hull. Uh, Sam, who was at the game, said it was a scrappy game, largely dominated by Blades, but without much cutting edge. Hull looked a threat on the counter, but lacked quality. Egan, O'Connell, Basham, impressive for Blades. That, that's their back three, and that is just such an important part of the way that they play and, uh, and, and how they're doing this season, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, and it's just, again, it's not necessarily a glamorous one. I mean, Egan has come in, I don't think there was much... Um, annoyance necessarily from Brentford fans when he left um, in the summer I think that whilst they appreciated what he had done they thought that maybe they had enough in the tank with Mepham coming through through in the, in the play they brought in from France and Jean Vier as well um, not to mention Konza as well so I mean they obviously had the strength and depth and but Egan has proven himself I think already at Sheffield United to be a really really shrewd piece of business um, he's been essential to, to them uh, this season already we've spoken before about how good generally their their recruitment has been um, Oliver Nord being the other one I mean these guys are not necessarily the flashy um, pieces of transfer business that you would necessarily get too excited about um, despite the fact that Egan is obviously a good age and, and should have a, a ceiling much higher than than the championship but uh, as you say you know Chris Chris Wilder yet again proving that he can turn a, a team of players into better than you would expect and uh, and they they continue to to overachieve and then you know we mentioned the two people there who they brought in the summer McGoldrick being the other and he was the goal scorer albeit by a penalty mm. um, so it's just really if you took that Sheffield United team at the back end of last season and you told us that those are the three key men they were going to be bringing in I don't think we'd have been too impressed I don't think we necessarily would have thought that they'd have been key starters for them possibly Egan but the fact that all three have come in and have been you know, absolutely one of the well, three of their, uh, of their top performers is a massive, massive testament to, to the recruitment team. Absolutely. Uh, another big game at the top was Leeds-Brentford, which we're going to touch on a little bit later. Uh, before we move on to some of the big results at the bottom, uh, how about Middlesbrough nil, Nottingham Forest 2? I think a, a result that certainly I didn't see coming and, and probably many others as well, but Nottingham Forest very good for that win. A few weeks ago, we spoke about Aitor Karanka, I'd say it was almost a rant from you, actually. It was, it was borderline. It was up there. Nearly there. Um, it wasn't quite, I didn't go quite full Bruce. But. Yeah, not full Bruce. Not full <laughs> Bruce, but halfway, halfway house to Karanka. Uh, Forest, after that win, are in fifth. They've only won four of their 12 league games, drawing seven, but they've only lost one. Um, they haven't scored loads of goals. They haven't conceded loads of goals. And even in the last few weeks, they've had a, a few results, like that one against, um, in midweek against Millwall, 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go. And completely wet the bed, essentially. Uh, to, <laughs> is, that, the, is that a PG version of what you normally say? <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what that is. They, they completely wet the bed. And it was hugely unimpressive in many ways. But this result on the weekend, completely the opposite. Do we think that they might be strengthening, slowly and quietly strengthening? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you have to look at that as being a positive result, but let's not get carried away. Um, they were amongst the, the favourites to be promoted from this league um, and they're currently in fifth, but they are six points off the top spot and they are also six points away from being um, 19th, 18th. Yeah. So I, I really think at this stage of the season, I mean, normally the, the table starts to take shape after 10 games. We've had 12 and at this stage, I think unless you're looking at the bottom four or five, it's totally irrelevant. Um, possibly Sheffield United and West Brom at the top, maybe you know, given they've got a bit of breathing room down to seventh. But but realistically, for us, this is a, this is a work in progress. I would I would absolutely say that the four wins um, is more of an indicator of how they're performing rather than their league position. Um, if they continue, no matter what happens, if they continue at that rate of wins, they're not going to stay in that fifth position. They, they have to win more games. But you know, a two 0 win um, at one of the one of the title favourites in Middlesbrough is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, but who, I, I, you know, you, you can't have one win and, fight, and jump up the table at this stage and get too carried away. Who would have thought that it would be Joe Lolly really sparkling for Nottingham Forest? That's not to disparage Lolly, who who had a, has already had a good career and uh, was a part of a Huddersfield team at this level previously. But just in terms of some of the more eye-catching names signed in the summer, uh, that Lolly is now firmly keeping out of the side, and the, and the quality of his play, the quality of his goals. Uh, has been really, really impressive. So that he, he was one of six or seven players that signed on deadline day in January, around a time that we were really questioning some of the signings, some of the, the ages of players they were bringing in at that time. But unquestionably, Lolly has been a, a sensational uh, player this season for Forest and, and seems like an excellent bloke. He's definitely one of my main targets for people to get on the pod at some point. So if anyone knows Joe Lolly, um, <laughs> send, send him our way. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think he's been fantastic, and, and also, and he was one of our darlings in that in that first season as well in that, in that Huddersfield team. So he was, he was indeed a, a Huddersfield, well, playoff finish prediction that we've been living off ever since and trying to replicate. Now, um, a big week down at the bottom. We won't talk in depth about West Brom for Reading one, uh, despite the fact that Reading were leading at half time. Um, a, a, a second half salvo saw. West Brom blow them away in, in the same manner that they've been doing to many teams this season. They are plundering the goals. I think at this rate, they're projected to score about 115, which would be sensational. And um, But it was down the bottom of the table that I wanted to go now. A, a big week, a, some big, big results for teams that really needed it. Starting with Ipswich, who, who got their first win of the season in the league at a time that Paul Hurst desperately needed it. Kyle was there, said Swansea had countless chances, but not clinical enough. Uh, the defending was poor for Ipswich's goals, uh, but Swansea's still a joy to watch. Um, and the fact I'm still positive after the loss is testament to Potter's work so far. So Swansea fans staying positive. What does it mean for Ipswich? I mean, you tweeted your joy, I suppose, almost at seeing Paul Hurst, who's been so beleaguered, getting that first win. Um, what, what, were your thought, what were your thoughts? Yeah, nothing, you know, try and remain unbiased, but I think on a purely kind of personal level, I guess, I really want them to get out of this because um, I think in this day and age, we, we don't see that many managers do what he uh, has done in the last few seasons. Um, he's at an age where he, he could still, you know, very quickly rise towards the top. Um, I have a, an emotional attachment through family, I guess, to, uh, to Grimsby. Um, so, to I, Hurst, so, yeah. so, I, so I saw his, his, his team going up through the, um, through the playoffs there. And what he did there was, was unbelievable. Mm. And we've seen them struggle to, to get over losing him uh, as a manager. The same can be said from Shrewsbury. So... I think basically just for, for, for League One and League Two managers going forward, it would be a real, real disaster if Paul Hurst doesn't succeed um, because he's got to be the poster boy for what they're all trying to, trying to achieve. Yeah. And they've been luckless so far this season. So to see them get that bit of luck, especially when you know, they sacrificed that, that 2-1 lead late on and he thought it was going to be the same old story, another draw from a, from a winning position, another failure to capitalise from that good position. Um, I'm delighted for them. Yeah, me too. I would have liked to have seen him a little more bullish in his post-match interview. He... he he, even after that, that huge win and what a, what a result more than anything, he, he still seemed a little down, uh, quite meek and thinking about Hurst at his best last year. Um, I can't necessarily blame him because it's been a, a really tricky two months or so, but I, I would have liked to have seen, if I was an Ipswich fan, a little bit more bullishness, um, which I didn't think he showed. But of course, those, those post-match interviews, um, there's... there's plenty of variables at play there, so I, I won't give him too I, I, much to And I think it works in both ways as well, where... If he comes out then swinging, <laughs> yeah. he could look very silly indeed in a couple of weeks if it's not going to plan. I mean, he must, given I mean, the international break, couldn't have come at a worse time for him for mm. two reasons. Firstly, if he'd lost that game, it was a perfect time to get rid of him early on. And now, once they've got that win, he's got to wait a couple of weeks till he can try and, try and get the second. So, um, and it's a, it's a huge job, that job. 
and it must yeah. be difficult to have gone through the start he's he's had. So now we've yeah. been we've been busy on Twitter the last few days. We've been enjoying talking to you about uh, your NTT Twenty memories. But we also, if you scroll down the timeline at NTT Twenty Pod, you'll find the full video of Swansea's second goal scored by Bursant Selina, but started essentially with their goalkeeper playing a one-two in his own six-yard box with the defender. It is absolutely sensational, and uh, you must go and watch it. There have been flashes of Swansea this year that have been top top level football and uh, and speak to a coach doing plenty with uh, with with a very young team so go and watch that because a lot of the highlight shows didn't start that that incident far enough back to see the the full story uh, Preston also got a much needed win and and a, and a big win 4-0 against Wigan uh, seemed to be slowing down ever so slightly uh, Jack who was there said finally a win finally a clean sheet story at the back outstanding you remember he signed from Exeter in the summer and Nemeka on loan from Man City with a man-of-match performance up front, despite not scoring. Further good news was the return of Maguire, uh, who was injured just before the start of the season, which was a huge blow for them. He came on and got an assist. I mean, Nemeka's performance in this game was sensational. He, he, With his size and mobility and strength and showing the sort of link-up play that he did with, with some, of, uh, some of the wide players and some of the midfielders, it was the, the absolute perfect lone striker performance. And... Well, certainly Preston fans, but also Man City fans uh, can, can be getting quite excited if he can start replicating that. And then another team down at the bottom, George Millwall, 2-1 winners against Villa. Coming from behind as well, another team that really, really needed this. Uh, I've, I've been quite surprised by their poor results to start the season. But I think if you look at them, some of them were a little unlucky, shall we say. So a, a big win and Tom Elliott getting the winner, a man who's touch you have described as velvet <laughs> over the years you bring that up every every kind of 10 uh, <laughs> it 10. makes me laugh every time i mean i still think he's absolutely class i was hoping that we, maybe oxford can nip in and get him in january but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen now um i, I reckon they'll go on a run now this is it's, it's classic neil harris's millwall where we saw them go on a run to, to get promotion through the playoffs then last season at the back end we saw them go on a run which saw them nearly flirt with the playoffs at least they've been woeful this season so far and then 2-0 down with 10 minutes to go at Nottingham Forest they scored twice 1-0 down at home to Villa they scored twice I mean that that momentum has turned that tide has turned and uh, and you you see I mean this is something that, that I've spoken to Mike Holden about not necessarily just just with uh, Neil Harris but you know streaky managers stay streaky and I think that Harris has shown um, that he he could be one of those and, and especially with a huge huge game coming up next after the international break away at Reading um, you'd think they'll fancy their chances there and then that could be uh, a really important seven points from nine. It's interesting, some of their results, the away form's been a, a real issue uh, and, and it's defeats to Rotherham and QPR that sort of are the most worrying. But if you look at some of their draws against Middlesbrough, against Leeds, Nottingham Forest and Blackburn, sort of suggests to me that when they play properly and, and, and in the way that they prefer to play, soaking up pressure and attacking directly, um, they can still be a threat. It's, a, it's just one of those ones where they need to start Beating the the work, you know the bottom teams in the league, and uh, and start you know establishing the, establishing themselves as as the sort of team that can play on the front foot as well as um, as well as being a, an, an excellent sort of underdog team, if you will. But three massive wins down at the bottom and a terrible week in that sense for Reading uh, and for Hull who who lost and for whom you know things are getting pretty worrying. Um, uh, an excellent game at Ellen Road uh, on Saturday early afternoon, Saturday lunchtime. Um, Unfortunately, slightly marred by subsequent chat about the referee. Um, the Leeds fans have made a petition uh, to get him investigated because of uh, you know, um, a questionable penalty. Dean Ashton called it a professional dive from Ollie Watkins. I thought that was quite a, a good way of describing it. When I first saw it, my first thought was penalty, possibly even after the first replay. Um, but then you sort of see that he is halfway down before the contact is made and the whole... I kind of feel like Watkins' whole idea there was just simply to win a penalty, not to, not to make what I would call a, a footballing action. And I think so that I, I would agree with Leeds fans it was the wrong decision, but I also don't think it was a horrendous decision, if that sort of makes sense, because in real time it did look exactly w- what he thought as a penalty. But yeah, I mean, and just the notions of, of um, you know, that the, the, the referee was cheating and stuff like that. It's just a bit immature, really, isn't it? I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. He's won the penalty there. And, uh, and you know, they've, they've done well. It said a lot to me that they did well to come back and get that equaliser. And Pontus Janssen's interviewed on the pitch afterwards. And, he, and you know, he's swearing. He's saying he doesn't care about the equaliser because he feels so cheated by the referee. It was nil-nil then. Um, and, you know, they've, they've grabbed a point. And 
yeah, I'm, I'm just not entirely. It, it's easy to feel hard done by, but on a scale of one to ten, don't go full ten. I don't. Yeah, no, I, mate, I, I completely agree. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the game. I think we possibly owe uh, um, an apology of sorts to Dean Smith in the sense that we said on EFL Matters on Thursday that it was very unlikely. Um, or, or we hadn't seen from Smith that in away games he was willing to be pragmatic and we considered that to be one of Bees' great weaknesses. Uh, but in his team selection, benching McLeod and McEachran, um, slightly less defensive-minded midfielders who play at the base of the midfield for, for Brentford and replacing them with Yanaris um, and with Makocho, and it, and it really did do the job. So um, I suppose no apology for, for saying that up to that point he hadn't been that pragmatic, but certainly it it affected Bees' play in a positive way and they played a bit more on the counter-attack and clearly caused Leeds a lot of problems. Jack, who was there, a Leeds fan, said they're the most dangerous attacking side he's seen so far. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see that because there's a number of ways of looking at their away form. Uh, you can look at it really negatively or you can look at some actually pretty good performances that haven't necessarily yielded the results that, uh, that you might expect. Well, yeah, I mean, you think they take one 0 lead, a one 0 lead at Villa Park into into injury time. They take a one 0 lead at Ellen Road into into the 88th minute, and here we are saying how bad their away form is. I mean, that's five minutes away from another from another what from another four points being third in the league and, and taking two of the biggest scalps mm. in the league away from home. So, I mean, I, I still think that this Brentford team are well well set for a promotion charge, and uh, it's just I, I, I've spoken about my concern over some in. in in running, in play, decisions from um, from the manager, and again conceding a, a late goal here is just more evidence of being unable or unable, sorry, to, to close out a game. But uh, nonetheless, definitely still loads of reasons to be positive for Brentford, and, and a big old point um, if you take it out of context, a huge point on on Saturday. Uh, quite a lot to be positive about at St Andrews at the moment, where Birmingham under Gary Monk are on rather a good run of form. Uh, they, they played very well at Griffin Park in midweek, and then they went and dispatched Rotherham 3-1 at home, the type of game that uh, Birmingham haven't dealt with very well in, well, in recent seasons, put it that way. But in Lukas Djukovic, they have possibly the surprise standout player of the season. Not to say that he's been useless in previous years. He's a player that we know very well at this level. But just in in terms of his output, in terms of his contributions to this team, both in terms of of goals and in terms of creating chances. I mean, our friends at StatsBomb produced a a sort of bar chart showing the the championship players with more than 0.2 XG and more than 0.2 XG assisted per 90. And it was Harvey Barnes and Mason Mount. And uh, there was Lukas Djukovic sandwiched in between. And the most surprising thing about it is... He was born in Southampton and is eligible to play for England. I know. Get him in there. Uh, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's an interesting comparison um, with Jukovic and another striker that Gary, Gary Monk had great success with in, um, in Chris Woods. If you look back at Chris Woods' scoring um, record before the 16-17 season, or, or you know, that was Monk's first full season, it's not great. I mean, he was never really very prolific. He scored 13 in the season before. That was only one of two seasons he'd ever scored double figures for goals. So he was, he was never very prolific. He obviously then scored 27 in that season where, mm-hmm. they, where they, they kind of threw it away late on under Monk. Um, so he, maybe he's just one of those managers who has a knack of creating a system where someone up top can, can be very prolific. I mean, Jukovic's numbers before the weekend were already very, very good, as you mentioned, in terms of XG. And, uh, and then finally getting the chance to put the ball away and scoring a hat-trick. So despite the fact that he's you know, well into his late 20s, there's no reason to think that he can't be turned into some kind of a goal scorer. And if Monk is one of those managers who you know, the, the goals may not get, get shared around the, uh, the team, but that focal point, everything is, is set for that player up top to, mm. be, uh, to be the focal point of attacks. Um, That's right. You feel like there's still more goals in Che Adams. Uh, Hotter has been on sparkling form. Uh, but again, could probably score a few more, or certainly used to in, in his Brentford days. But they're just a, a weird team at the moment. Uh, two wins, two losses, and eight draws uh, on a very long unbeaten run that hasn't included many wins. But generally, the, the feeling is one of, of positivity. Um, and, and as Gab Sutton, who is a Football League connoisseur, but also a, a Blues fan, said, you know, there's no reason for them not to be looking upwards, unless, of course, they are hit with, with that points deduction. Um, but really impressive, just just one on Gary Monk, not just in terms of Lukas Djukovic, but uh, it was a it was a really weird year for him, wasn't it? Um, leaving Leeds, 
um, joining Middlesbrough and it, it didn't go right for him at all. So to be now managing a less fancied side, not really being able to bring in any players apart from the, the Danish left back who's caused them all sorts of issues uh, with the EFL. Uh, but, you know, proving that he's, he's clearly a good manager. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we did our our series um, of the best managers under the age of 45 in the EFL, when he was Leeds manager, he topped it. And, uh, and, and with good reason at the time as well. And, and what happened at Middlesbrough was was poor. But in many ways, I think as a, as a young developing coach, the Birmingham one was, was almost perfect. A lot of money had been spent on that squad to, to little um, success. But then you're coming into a squad with the likes of Hotter, who, who's worth you know the amount of money they spent on him. And without any... With, with the you know the, the struggles in terms of financials and bringing players in now, it means that he's not really responsible for the for the weakness of the squad if there is any, and and the expectations were fairly low because of the poor season last season. So, I think it's a good place for him to be at the moment. And as you mentioned, a long unbeaten run struggles to to put teams away, but they did so on Saturday when they were heavy heavy favourites. So maybe we'll now see them rising up the table. Yeah, I was certainly impressed with them seeing them in the flesh on Tuesday night against Brentford. Uh, whether it was by design or, or by luck, I, I like to think by design, uh, they exploited Brentford's defensive weakness down the left-hand side fantastically well and caused them no end of issues, to be quite honest with you. Um, and Lee Camp seems to be much better uh, in the last month or so as he was in the first month of the season. Uh, other results in the Championship, Sheffield Wednesday, one away at Bristol City, fantastic result on Sunday. Stoke away at Norwich as well, probably a little bit lucky to nick that one with a, a, a pretty fortunate own goal. But, you know, more signs that things are are slowly steadying uh, at Stoke. And Gary Rowett seemed very happy about things afterwards. Uh, Blackburn winning at Bolton as well. Now into League One. Our team of the week comes from League One, uh, which we're going to discuss after the League Two chat, right at the end of the show, as always. So um, if you're wondering, if you're thinking your team might be team of the week, well, keep listening. Uh, but the big game of the weekend was Peterborough Barnsley, and it finished 4-0 to Barnsley, the away team. We spoke on the betting show about... Barnsley being just a shade of, of, well, just about odds against six to five as an away team against another challenger and and why that might look surprising. But the fact that the bookies and the the stats, the the analysts would tell you that there was a big difference between the teams and and that's what played out. Yeah, hopefully I can provide uh, some light uh, relief for Peterborough fans when I tell them I actually had a tiny, very close kickoff. I had a small bet on Peterborough just because I thought it had gone too far the other way. <laughs> Why is that a relief? Uh, well, just because <laughs> I think a few of them have been quite annoyed in the past about um, what we said about their team this season. I, I, I know a few have, so... Um, well, one of the things is, I, I, I why, do you guys, your, uh, why do you guys like Barnsley so much and why why do you not seem to like Posh as much when yeah. we're above them in the league? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, it was... Uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big result for, for Barnsley. Um I saw in the XG map um, that it was fairly level according to Ben Mayhews, but Darren McAntony tweeting today saying that uh, Barnsley were with a better team and deserved to win it. So no excuses there at all. I think that result is maybe um, the one that is going to see the small minority of, of fans who are already tired of, of Evans's manner, uh, touchline manager and his managerial um, well, his tactics effectively uh, it's going to see them turn. Uh, McCantony again tweeting all day about how much abuse he's receiving at the moment and, and to have a yeah. look at the table. But, uh, but I think he was quite reactive to Barnsley. I think that's almost something that the fans weren't that happy about. He seemed to be changing his, his team's tactics for a home game. And I don't think that's the type of thing that the fans would have liked to see. And, and in going more defensively minded, that just sort of exposed their frailties at the back, really, I think. And, and they didn't have the bodies at the top end of the pitch to counter with, with the sort of pace that we've seen throughout the season. So I think that was a bit disappointing and then changing it all up at half time. But I think by that time it was too late. So it's a really, it's just regardless of, of any sort of bias or wanting anyone to do well, which obviously we, we don't really have any interest in. It's a really fascinating team this year, Peterborough. They've always been one of the teams that we talked about most in league one, just because of the amount of goals that have scored, been scored in their games historically, the turnover of players, the sort of players that we've seen perform well for Posh, but also their frailties. And this season, as much as ever, we're like times it by five. They're just, uh, they're an absolute lightning rod for League One discussion, aren't they? It's, yeah, yeah uh, definitely. I mean, they've conceded two or more, uh, two or more goals in, in all of their last seven games in all competitions. Remarkable. And there's just, you know, it doesn't take a genius to tell you that that's just, if you carry on doing that, you're not going to come in the top five. So, and, and you, often you're going to get put to the sword. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I still just uh, have, have 
real issues with any idea that they're going to be up towards the top end of the table because teams just find it easy to score against them. And, um, you know, the old adage that, you know, you win if you score more goals than the other team. You've got to make that as easy as possible by conceding as few as you can. Sam, Barnsley fan, we should give some bit more credit to Barnsley here. Extremely one-sided game, he said. Uh, we finally played to our potential and put a poor home side to the sword. The most pleasing aspect was that when Kiefer Moore went off at 1-0, we upped our game from then on. Very impressive stuff. Uh, Potts in midfield and Pinnock at the back continue to dominate games. And, and yeah, just a, just a very... I mean, considering it was 4-0, it seems a bit of a weird thing to say, but it seemed like a very business-like performance. I think that's something that sums up this Barnsley team. It's not necessarily that they are just a, a very good team going forward, and at times we have said that about them, and it is certainly true. They're scoring a lot of goals. But I think the, mo- the more important thing, and this is where Portsmouth have been good this season as well, it's the, it's the business-like aspect of, of closing out games uh, once they go ahead, game management, and just being a good winning Football team, I think that's what we're seeing from Barnsley. Another 4-0 away win came at Doncaster, where Fleetwood went and, and binned them off 4-0. Now, it was pretty clear watching the highlights that this was uh, a, a game decided by set pieces. Almost all of Fleetwood's goals scored from set plays uh, and the fourth in the second half from open play. But, uh, yeah, just one of those slightly confusing uh, results when you look at the, the form of the teams and the table. A, a more general question, because... There was a lot of talk about Joey Barton before the season, what he'd be like as a manager and you know his character, how that would affect his management style. But we've barely heard a peep out of him all season. He's, yeah, he's really, it's true. I don't know if it's because Fleetwood are, quote-unquote, a smaller team in that division than some, but he, he's been really very much below the radar. It's probably more because he doesn't get his own radio show now and he doesn't have his own Twitter account that he can spout, kind of spout all his... Uh, all of his thoughts all day, uh, maybe. But and he's, he's letting the football team do the talking. And after a great start, they went through a sticky run. So you know you can't really be too uh, too loud mouthed at that time. And, and for all of his you know his faults or for, for, for reasons why people don't like him, um, you can be you know as a player he was unbelievably competitive, and you can be pretty sure that any any uh, energy he was putting into his public persona is now being put in on, on the training ground in the mm. best way. He will not want to be Fleetwood Town Manager in 12 months, 18 months. He'll have much higher, higher aspirations of that and he'll be treating this as a learning process. And uh, 17 points from 12 games, 10th place, and putting um, teams away 4-0 away from home can only bode well. Yeah, seems to have plenty of different options uh, in his Fleetwood squad, which speaks to impressive recruitment. I saw they picked up Ross Wallace on a free the other day and he's tucked in straight away into the, to the right side of midfield and... Of course, Wallace is a player. There are a lot of championship fans looking at thinking, you know, can we get him in if he's on a free transfer? So again, um, wanting to go and join this Fleetwood side with, with, with Barton at the helm. But just if you, if you look at the players that contributed to the win on, on the weekend, Nathan Sharon at the back, James Wallace in midfield, Ryan Taylor. These aren't players that we spoke about when we spoke about Fleetwood last time. We were talking about uh, Paddy Madden, Chad Evans, Ashley Hunter, uh, Ashley Eastham. So... Just just a, a good squad, I think, and getting good contributions, just lacking lacking the ability to really put teams away um, prior to the weekend. They've only won four of their 12, but hard to beat as well, having lost just three. So very much a sort of team on the fence, Fleetwood, and, and it'd be interesting to see over the next few weeks how, how they move, whether it's upwards or downwards, or whether they just settle just outside the playoffs. And Plymouth got their first win of the season, George, against Wimbledon. Uh, I didn't have an excellent betting show weekend but I'm proud of this pick given that it was their 12th game of the season they hadn't won um, but that was my pick that they would win and they did uh, you had an exceptional betting show and we, we implore everyone to tune in on Thursday to hear about your exploits and to hear where you're going next because a man on form is a man to listen to but uh, just for, streaky like Neil Harris yeah for, for, <laughs> for Plymouth I feel like you're, you've always been a fan of Derek Adams he was part of that a series that you wrote about young British managers and maybe a bit like Paul Hurst, are you are you quite happy to see them win? Quite happy, you know, you're happy for him, or you, well, do you feel less I, emotionally I'm attached? Definitely not happy for them. Uh, I feel emotionally attached to Oxford's, who we, and we play them on Saturday, and they've just usurped us into twenty third place. Right. So no, not my most um, thoughtful question. But that one. <laughs> uh, but I think that any Plymouth fan listening can probably feel a little bit aggrieved that they weren't chosen by us for their team of the week. Um, they were definitely definitely second, given drawing away at Barnsley, uh, one of the best teams in the league, and then following that up with their first win of the season, albeit against a team who are also struggling in AFC Wimbledon. 
Um, but this will be very interesting because can they do it again? Obviously, it's not quite as perilous as it was last season, but um, but Derek Adams knows how to how to lift Plymouth, and it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, if they can go on, on another run because we know when we've seen that this group of players is easily capable of, of rising up rising up the table, and uh, and they've got to use this as a platform now. Yeah, elsewhere there were. Excellent away wins for Coventry, for Sunderland, for Walsall, for Gillingham. Could one of those teams be our team of the week? Stay tuned for that. Home wins in League One for Luton. Uh, Richard, the Luton fan, getting excited. And he, and he makes quite a good case for it. He said, another win. We've only lost to Pompey and Doncaster. And he says those were both quite harsh defeats. And Peterborough, which he had no complaints about. All away from home. Tough teams around the top of the table. And all this without Hilton and Berry as well. Seven out of nine points this week with seven goals scored. Should have been more on Saturday. Uh, He added that Scunthorpe looked not bad at all and good to see teams playing football. So um, given our lofty prediction for Luton, it's, I suppose, good from our point of view uh, to see them putting together a a decent run of form. But it's Wickham and Shrewsbury who were equally impressive in their home wins, piling on the XG. Uh, Shrewsbury 3.16 in their in their win against Accrington should have scored more uh, against ten man Accrington Connor Ripley sent off for some sort of kung fu kick at one point uh, and Wickham 2.31 they recorded in terms of xG so very impressive on that front as well we're going to talk League Two now Armin Makarimi joined us and well he speaks for himself an excellent. Um, Analyst, and, and we were very lucky to have him talking to me earlier about the state of play in League Two, some of the teams and some of the features of their play that he enjoys. So thank you to joining us, and uh, here's what he had to say. So for our League Two section this week, we're going to give you a real treat. We've got Arman McCarrami on the line, and Arman is the League Two analyst for Strata Bet. Those of you with good short-term memories, we'll remember that we spoke to Ollie Walker, a colleague of Armand, uh, who, who does League One, and he filled us in on uh, some of the some of what the data is saying and, and, and the type of things that only people who really analyse these leagues can know. So we thought it'd be brilliant to get his League Two equivalent, and we managed to get hold of him. So, so Armand, I guess the first question to you is, your job title is League Two Analyst. Uh, we don't think there can be many job titles better than that, but just... <laughs> Fill us in on what that means and, and what you're up to, basically. Um, yeah, uh, I've listened to Ollie in the last podcast and he summed it up quite well, to be honest, with in terms of the previews. So um, they normally consist of, um, I'll do a section on any injuries or any um, suspensions the teams have, so what the expected lineups will be, um, how they'll approach the game tactically and what their mindset is heading into the game. So at Strawbet as well, we normally concentrate on the Asian handicap and the total goals line. So I'll highlight any factors that will um, be needed to highlight it for those games. And uh, that normally takes up most of the week, especially if there's a midweek round as well. Mm. Um, and apart from that, on Sundays and Mondays or any other three days that we've got, I'll have the job of analysing the game. So um, mostly for me, that'll be League Two games. But I also do some trading suggestions for the Premier League. So I get a watch some Premier League games as well, which can be a bit depressing when you're a Newcastle fan. But yeah, that's what <laughs> I do on a week-to-week basis. And yeah, it's something that I've really enjoyed so far. In terms of analysing League Two as, as, a, as a division, um, I guess I, I wondered, I, I know that well, you've mentioned the Premier League there and I'm sure over the course of your career, you've analysed lots of different uh, divisions and maybe even different countries of football. Uh, in terms of League Two, which I believe you've been doing uh, this season, what's stood out for you uh, in terms of style or in terms of, of anything that, that, that the data throws up? What's an interesting quirk of League Two that you might not see in a, in a different division that you're analysing? Um, I think, first of all, I only started a few months ago on League Two, but um, I, didn't, I didn't really know much before I started, but I think I've been really impressed with the quality. I think most people don't expect a League Two side, like uh, League Two teams to be that good, but that's one of the things that I've been really impressed with, and I think they come like every every. I'm guessing every league uh, people say that the league is competitive, but for League Two, I think that's its main selling point. I think it's one of the most competitive leagues in England. I think the best example I can think of is Newport get, getting beat six 0 the other week off Yeovil and Newport are now third in the table and have gone 
four games unbeaten since then. So I don't think that really happens in other leagues where, especially the Premier League, you can't really expect a team that's in the top four or five getting beat 6-0 of another team that's 15-16. So that's what I think that stands out from the other leagues. It's just how competitive it is. I mean, even if, if you consider Macclesfield, who haven't won every haven't won yet, but they don't really get turned over by teams. They they normally give teams a good run out as well. So yeah, I think it's that's its main selling point with League Two. It's how competitive it is. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now, and th- this sort of applies across the three EFL divisions. And one of the reasons why we keep banging the drum for it is the competitiveness. But yeah. I'm just looking at the Premier League. This is a stat that might help to highlight this. Um, they're eight games in in the in the Premier League. There are ten teams. All the teams in the top ten have won four or more of their games. So 50% win ratio from Leicester up, up to Man City. If you look down the, the EFL divisions in League Two, you've only got uh, Lincoln, Exeter, Newport and Stevenage, Crawley and Carlisle who have won six out of their uh, 12 games, which is 50%. And again, in League One and in the Championship, there's very few teams with that sort of, of win percentage. And that speaks to the competitiveness of it. Of course, each week we see results chucked up that that seems surprising if you're just looking at the league table um and that's why we love it uh, you talk about being sort of impressed i guess with the with the quality on offer so if we look at the at the top of the table um the teams at the top at the moment lincoln uh, seem very strong exeter newport and in the playoffs mk dons stevenage forest green and tranmere and then it's all you know it's all pretty stuck together in, in in the middle part of the table. Which teams have you watched and enjoyed in terms of the quality of their play? Uh, not necessarily just pure results, but when, when you're watching back the games, are there teams that you sort of think to yourself, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is a this is a great team to watch? Um, and oh, I'm, I'm, I've quite liked the tactical side of the game as well. So um, I think Lincoln are the standout choices there. They've been, it's clear they've been the best team so far, but apart from them, uh, I quite like. I've enjoyed watching Exit. I think they've been the team that have impressed me the most this, coming into this season. I think I didn't expect them to be as good as they've been. I think Matt Taylor's done a great job. Um, he, from his interviews as well, what I've seen, what he's done, he's been very honest in what he's done with the team. has been really well since Paul Tisdale left as well. Their their main issue has been in the recent weeks has been dealing with Troy Brown getting injured, but they've caught with that really well defensively and Kroll stepped in really well. Um, and apart from Exeter, I think MK Dons are starting to get into rhythm now. I think they started a bit slowly, had a few injuries, but now I think they've won the last two games. Um, they're unbeaten in four, and defensively, I think they're the best side in the league. And once they get going offensively, I think they'll be, I think they they'll be challenging Lincoln soon for the top spot. Um, with that, one of their issues was that the start of the season was Chucks and EK wanted to leave. I think he didn't really want to play in League Two, and um, He's recently been introduced back in the side, and he's I think he's been really impressive since he came back in, and he'll make a uh, difference for them going forward. Yeah, always question marks about attitude when it comes to Anike, yeah. but also no doubt as to the talent that he has and starting to show that in the last few weeks and converting chances seem to be a big problem for them. So a, a welcome uh, arrival yeah. into form of Anike. Um, I'd like to ask you about what you said about uh, Lincoln and Exeter, maybe in terms of being impressed with their tactics. I feel like in, at League Two level, uh, the tactical side of the game is not something that gets analysed enough. It's difficult because it, it's hard to mm-hmm. watch uh, as, a, as, a, as a normal uh, fan. It's hard to watch as much football as you can. So what is it about, let's take Lincoln. We, we always talk about Danny Cowley and his brother, Nicky, being, being great tacticians at this level. How does that sort of play out? Is that in-game changes or, or difference in, in systems that you can notice uh, watching as much as you do? What What's impressed you about them? Um, I think, yeah, um, in terms of Lincoln, what I've been impressed with in-game changes is one, I think Danny Cowley's, that's one of his strengths as a manager. I think what he's the changes he's made throughout the season so far have been spot on and I'm actually quite a big fan of him. Um, from the job he's done, I think in League Two the main thing is is managing games in the lead. That's I think the better teams do that better than the rest of the side. So I think Lincoln and Exeter are the two standouts of the team so far, and that's the reason why they're top two at the minute. Is they're quite good at managing managing games well, especially when they take the lead. I think Exeter are a bit more defensive than Lincoln from what I've watched so far. So they'll they'll be more than happy to 
sit on a one nil lead and defensively that they back themselves to hold out and frustrate teams. Lincoln uh, tend to be a bit more aggressive in the lead and try and go and kill teams off, especially at home. I think they've had a few good wins at home. Um, when they've taken the lead, they've been able to kick on. So, yeah, I think the main the main thing is managing games once you take a lead or fall behind is not losing confidence. And that's what sets the top two teams apart from the rest so far. One more team in the top half I wanted to ask you about. We've mentioned Forest Green a few times over the last few weeks as a team that we thought might be look, looking to, well, likely to, to move up the league. Um, they've, they're a bit of an odd one at the moment, a bit of a quirk. They're the only unbeaten team in the EFL, uh, but only four wins out of 12. So uh, what's the what's the data saying about them? And, and if it if it seems to suggest a rise up the table, um, you know, it, you might have seen something that suggests actually maybe uh, their strikers aren't good enough or they concede uh, soft goals. It, it, how do you, how are you analysing Forest Green th- at this stage of the season? Um, I'm really impressive in terms of data. They're they're up there with the top teams, chance creation wise, expected goals wise. They they're done really well this season. I think they've struggled to put away the chances. Uh, Deutsch leaving. Uh, in the, uh, after a few games, I think that affected them a little bit offensively. I think they're, they're lacking the his sort of presence going forward to really make a difference with goals-wise. I mean, that's where where their issue have been defensively. I don't think I haven't seen them struggle that badly. I think they've been a bit unlucky not to pick up more wins than they have. I think they've only won four and yeah. drawn eight. So, um, yeah, no. Forest Green have been one of the most impressive teams so far. And yeah, as you said, their main issue has been just getting that extra goal needed to win games and expected goal-wise, they're up there with the top teams and they've done way better than I expected them to at the start of the season, to be honest. Yeah, someone shared a sort of data-driven report of their game against MK Dons a few weeks ago, which they drew 1-1. And I mean, one of their players, I think it was Reese Brown sitting at the base of midfield, had like 98 completed passes, you know, that they, they, they created 3.4 goals worth of XG or chances worth of XG. And it just, it looked like a sort of Barcelona of League Two performance. Now, I think Game State had a, something to do with that because they were, you know, uh, MK Dons were sitting on a lead for a while. But yeah, that, that was one of the things that made us sort of sit up and take notice of Forest Green. And we've been sort of tipping them to rise up the table. So I suppose now we've got a vested interest in, in, in them doing so, so that we look like we know what we're talking about. So it, it's good that you've <laughs> sort of confirmed that we're not talking complete rubbish. Um, no, you're talking, they're really impressive. One of the other things as well, they've had the most consistent start in 11. So that is another factor to throw in there. That's why they've been doing so well. In the, in the sort of middle section, I, I'm not. There doesn't have to be an answer here, but just looking at those teams, you know, from let's say Stevenage down to, um, I suppose Yeovil in fifteenth. There's five points between uh, ten positions there. Are there teams in the mix there that have been unlucky or who you think might be might be a, a decent bet to go on a bit of a run of form? Um, I think Mansfield are there fourteenth at the minute. Um, they've been pretty unlucky so far. I think they've got one of the better squads in, of those teams in that middle of the table. So I, I expect they've only lost one game. So I expect them to, and just like Forest Green, they've struggled to get that extra quality needed to start winning games. So I I'll expect them to move up higher than they are at the minute, at least top 10. And we, we, um, We've been a bit worried about David Flitcroft's ability to get the best out of that squad. As you mentioned there, it's, yeah. it's a, such a strong squad and it was last year as well. He obviously joined quite late uh, but um even so just five wins from from 23 games i think it is since he's taken over which looking at that squad is not really good enough so i, I would suggest that uh he does need to find a way to get the team winning and get get over the line because um you know the the, the chairman uh the, the uh, has invested a lot of money in that squad and i i think would quite rightly have expected to be challenging last season and this season as well so you probably do need to be to be moving upwards a bit. What about the the bottom half of the table? Who should we be, who should we be really worried about? Obviously, Macclesfield have, have parted company with their manager Mark Yates today. Um, they obviously, I mean, it, it's borne out in the results as well. But I'm, I'm guessing that they are also projecting as as one of the worst teams in the league. Who else is down there that you'd be really worried about at this stage? 
Yeah, I think I do feel a bit sorry for Macclesfield. The games I've watched them a few times, and they've been a bit unlucky in games. Um, I think they just lack quality in the final third. I, I don't think Mark Yates really had much to work with offensively, and I think a new manager might give them a little bit of a boost. But yeah, it's not looking good for them. Cambridge have been a bit defensively. That's been their main problems. I think offensively they've been good enough to get games, but they seem to. Uh, let slip leads. I think last in the last three games they've been winning two of them, but they've lost all three. So them two, um, Northampton should start picking up more results with Keith Curl now coming in and he's drawn his first two games in charge. And I think they they'll start pushing up soon. But Grimsby are the ones that I mean they've they've won the last two games, but I don't know where that came from because data wise and just watching them, they've been one of the poorest sides offensively going forward, and it's hard to see them picking up points especially from away from home where they tend to play a bit more defensively and try and like grind out a result so yeah I think out of the 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 teams at the bottom so far I'd, I'd be worried if I was a Grimsby Cambridge or Macclesfield fan yeah talking to a, a Grimsby fan whose opinion we rate very highly the other day seemed to think that definitely agreed that Grimsby were were one of the worst performing teams in the league but um, he was under the impression that in order to combat things, um, Jolly was going to start playing a bit more expansively, which is quite interesting, maybe quite a rare reaction to, mm-hmm. to poor form. A lot of managers sort of retreat into their shells and try and nick 1-0 wins. That was sort of in evidence on the weekend. A, a pretty solid 2-0 win against Port Vale helped with a, with a terrible mistake yeah. early on from a Vale defender. Um, I've been keeping an eye on their number 22, Elliot Embleton, who's on loan from Sunderland. Uh, he plays in the England under 19 team I think it is um, so it was it's, it's always interesting to see a player you know mixing it in international duty with the youth players of Chelsea Man City etc and playing down in league two and and he does look quite impressive he's quite lightweight but both footed you know classic modern young footballer both yeah. footed I've seen him take set pieces with both feet which is just my absolute dream that is the way into my heart um <laughs> uh, possibly you know like a lot of young players a little lightweight for the hustle and bustle of a league two midfield but certainly just just even watching the the short highlights from the weekend he seems to be very yeah. comfortable on the ball always offering um and, and has quality in both feet as well do you have uh, are there other players that that stand out to you when you're watching teams games always you know the best player on the pitch or, or standing out do you have players that you enjoy watching in league two um, I think my my favourite player so far has been uh, Michael Doughty from Swindon. I think um, he's re-signed with the club in the summer, and uh, you just have to look at how Swindon have played since he's been out injured. I think he's missed the last three games. He's their top goal scorer, um, and yeah, even though he plays in midfield, so yeah, he's been he's he's been the one that I've enjoyed watching the most. I think he's his runs from midfield going forward have been really impressive. He's got that extra bit of quality in, in the final third. I think his decision-making in the final third has been above the rest of the players in the league. So, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed watching him. I mean, there's there's a handful of players that I've really enjoyed watching, but he's been the one that I think makes his team tick the most. Nice. There's one final question I wanted to ask you. You've, you've touched on a few managers that you've been impressed with, unsurprisingly, the, the ones at the top in the top two, Cowley at Lincoln, uh, Matt Taylor at Exeter as well. I wanted to ask about Stevenage. They seem to, or certainly to my eyes at least, uh, snuck into to a, a playoff position at the moment. They're in fifth place, got a good win against fellow contenders for the playoffs, Colchester, on the weekend. Um, Stevenage, what can you tell us about them and, and whether you think they might be well set for to sort of remain a, a, around the playoff places? They, yeah, as I say, they to me anyway have sort of snuck in. So I'm wondering if you can enlighten us a bit on Dino Mamria's team. Um, first of all, I really like Dino Mamria. I, I like watching his interviews. He seems like a quite a positive person. I think that's really reflected on his team so far this season. Um, I think the thing with Stevenage has been defensively that usually one of the most solid teams. And I think Dino likes to keep things solid at the back and then work his way up. And that's really worked well for them so far. And going forward, they've had that extra quality needed to make the difference. Um, them, the way they play is not really aggressive like the other teams when you think of Lincoln or Exeter especially when they're drawn they tend to pick their moments in, in when they are playing to really 
attack and make the difference going forward. So, yeah, they're not the most aggressive team. They're not the most fun team to watch. But in terms of managing the game, again, as I, as I mentioned before, managing game-wise, they're one of the better teams. And, yeah, um, I think if they continue the way they have been going, they should be up in the top seven in the playoff spots by the end of the season. Talk about managing games. You've mentioned it in a few answers, and it, that's sort of my main takeaway from talking to you. I think uh, it's no secret, yeah. uh, no secret that that the manager is important at any level. Um, but just, it's really interesting to hear you, who, who watches so much League Two football, talk about the teams who are able to to close out games when they go ahead, or yeah. or as you say, pick their times to attack and not leave themselves open at the back. So um, it's great. It's been brilliant to to chat to you and and to get a, a steer. Yeah, uh, more of a steer than we're able to give, I think, uh, the listeners on, on some of the goings-on in League Two. Uh, just one final thing. You watch an untold amount of League Two manager <laughs> interviews. I can't imagine there's many people that watch more of that. So um, if I can just put you on the spot, whose interviews, let's say aside from Dino Mamria, whose interviews do you enjoy watching the most and who gives the absolute least away in their interviews? Who's the one that clearly just wants to be anywhere else and doesn't want to give the, the media anything. I think I've, I've Phil Brown for Swindon. He's quite interesting or watches interviews. He's normally few minutes something, especially after games, post-match interviews. And he's normally quite honest. So I've, in, I've enjoyed watching his. In terms of someone who gives a little away, um, uh, Ryan Lau for um, Barry, I think he's, he's a tough one to pick his teams when it comes to expected lineups he doesn't really give much away he's, his team team news sometimes is a bit what i normally don't expect so yeah in terms of what i've really enjoyed watching phil brown and um, ryan lau is the one that doesn't really give much away for me brilliant well thank you so so much for joining us really appreciate it armin no um, thank you. you know we we want to make sure that the listeners have have a, a line to you if they if they want any more questions on league two answers uh, answered rather if you could give us uh, a way of, of of getting in contact with you perhaps your twitter handle and, and tell us where we can find you um yeah twitter, twitter will be the best i'm gonna start writing a few more blogs on league two when i get a bit of time off so yeah it's uh, arman a-r-m-a-n-n underscore m on twitter and that's where if you need any questions or if you want any info i'll be happy to help using your time off from being a League Two analyst to write blogs on League Two, like like Ollie <laughs> Walker. You're, you're an inspiration to us, mate, and we're so grateful for you for joining us. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much to Arman for joining us. We need to get him back on uh, in the future because no one watches as much League Two football as he does, and his analysis was excellent, just like his colleague Ollie Walker's uh, last week. Team of the week time... George, and it's the team, as it often is, but not necessarily, that won at the longest odds this weekend. The result speaks for itself. Portsmouth, unbeaten Portsmouth nil. Gillingham, eight games without a win, two. Uh, unbelievable result and no question as to who our team of the week was going to be. Yeah, and, and the two huge things for me that, that really swing this, firstly, is just holding on to, to that clean sheet at 2-0 uh, up for a whole half of football against a team who will batter teams of Fratton Park this season, as we've seen them do already this season. Um, and also that this wasn't even a smash and grab. Um, ben Mayhew's ex graph has them at 1.5 um, for the match. Most of those chances were in the first half, but they were definitely deservingly ahead at half-time. And as, we, as I mentioned, they managed to sit back and defend and, uh, and see it out cosily. It's a huge, huge win for them. Um, it's been a turbulent um, to put it at best few weeks uh, it was a great result as well last weekend to, to go to Shrewsbury and get a two-all draw but uh, this obviously really kickstarts their season um, another one that probably isn't great news for Oxford but uh, but uh, no I think unquestionably despite Plymouth's um, huge win the the magnitude and the unlikeliness of this one makes it the, the team of the week yeah some key performers for them obviously Tom Eaves his goal was just incredible, the goal of the season surely so far in League One and possibly across the EFL. Uh, the touch, the swivel, the volley, the power on the shot, just sensational. And, you know, it, it's it's clear to anyone that's followed this Gillingham team over the last year or two that Eves, when he's on form, turns them into a different beast. He, he can be absolutely unplayable with his mixture of, of size and of touch. Unfortunately for him, anyway, that touch isn't always... Uh, on shall we say but fantastic performance not just him though 
Gabriel Zakuani at the back is such a leader for them. Uh, and as you said, when you're keeping a clean sheet against the league leaders, uh, you, you know that there are some special performances. Zakuani um, doing everything at the back there. And in midfield, interestingly, the return of Dean Parrott has been huge for them. Um, when they were on good form at the start of the season, Parrott was, was fit. He picked up an injury, uh, and in the time he missed, they played five games and got just one point. Uh, in the six games Parrott has played for Gilles this season, they've picked up 10 points, so 10 out of their 11 points in the games that he's played in. So he really makes them tick. Massive for them that he's back fit. And, um, you know, if the stats are anything to go by, um, a, a Gillingham team with Parrott in midfield... Zakuani at the back on form and, and Eves as well are certainly a team to be reckoned with. So our team of the week, Gillingham, we, we remain, well, we'll wait and see uh, if, if this can kickstart another good run of form, which they enjoyed at the start of the season. But a worthy winner of this week's team of the week. Thank you guys for joining us uh, for no real reason, but this has been our longest podcast I can remember uh, in, in memory. Over an hour of good stuff. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Uh, lots of different things to get through in the Championship, in League One and in League Two as well. We would just ask, and we ask after every podcast, but let's say a special occasion for our 100th podcast recording. Um, if you could retweet the tweet in which we include the links, if you could Tell any friends that you don't think have listened to us in our first 100 episodes. All those who have moved away, see if they want to uh, come crawling back. We'd be very grateful. But ultimately, thank you so much for all your support. Thank you so much for all of your tweets um, and, and all of the help that you give us and the inspiration that you give us to keep going. And until Thursday's betting show, that is it from us. <laughs>